Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. This is The Look Ahead with Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the sports betting network. Coming to you from the Circus Sportsbook in downtown Las Vegas, I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. You can always follow along on Twitter at Scott's on Air, S C O T T S O N A I R. Playoff action in both the NHL and the NBA resuming on Tuesday evening. We saw the zigzag come into effect as it goes 2 0 against the spread. The Celtics, who were handled pretty convincingly in game one at home, respond in game two. Winning and winning big, 109-86 over the Milwaukee Bucks. And then the Grizzlies, who dropped game number uh, one to the Golden State Warriors, respond with a win in game two, 106-101, covering as a small underdog. In the first game, it was the Jalen Brown show. 25 of his 30 points were scored in the first game half he was five of five from the three-point line in the first half the Celtics jumped out to a huge lead that they would not relinquish this one really never seemed like it was in doubt after they were up 11 after the first quarter then up 15 at the end of the half or, or more than that actually 20 was it uh 65 to to 40 right the 25 point lead at the end of the half so this one was over quickly, and the Celtics, who played this one without Marcus Smart, the NBA's Defensive Player of the Year, uh, were able to rely on Jalen Brown's hot shooting to carry them to this victory. Jason Tatum had 19 points. Elsewhere, it was uh, Robert Williams had, you know, in a pedestrian game. Al Horford with 11 rebounds. So the Celtics were a little big, you know, went big here. And Tatum had 29 points. Um, and they were able to defend Giannis pretty well. Now, he still got his. Now, Giannis is always going to get his 28 points. But they were able to defend him well early on. And really, the shot making was the difference here. Um, three of 18 from three-point range for the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Celtics 20 of 43 from the three-point line. But it was Jalen Brown early in the first half. Like I said, 5 of 5, scoring 25 of his 30 points in that first half as they were able to build this lead. Now, with the series tied at a game apiece, shifting to Milwaukee, 
the game three line is Bucks minus three. And this this is interesting. So essentially what they're telling us, and whether you think it's overvalued or, or not, and we can have that discussion. We certainly have had it with uh, our, our senior NBA analyst, Jonathan Bontobel, who believes that home court has been a little bit overvalued in the playoffs. But I, I do think that three points is kind of fair because I do think playoffs, it matters more home court. And, and yes, have the road teams covered more so than the home teams? Yes. And that has uh, you know aided in the conversation about home court being a little bit overrated. But home teams uh, are... Let's see, 28 and 21 straight up. Road teams, 26 and 23 against the spread. So it's starting to even out as the home teams went uh, 2-0 and here, both straight up and against the spread. Uh, home teams or favorites uh, this round are 4-2 and two straight up, but 3-3 three and three ATS. All this information courtesy of our very own Dave Tooley at View from Vegas on Twitter. Let's look at the lines for these games. Celtics minus four and a half, four points in both games one and two, which, you know, if you want to say it closed at five in game one, okay, I'll give that to you. But let's just call it four and a half to be conservative because the line did go down to four with the Marcus Smart news. And so let's just call it, let's just call it four and a half on uh, between the first two games. So, if we were just to kind of extrapolate all of what's baked into the lines here, four and a half, given three points for the home court, they're saying on a neutral court, the Celtics are about a point and a half better than the Milwaukee Bucks. A point to a point and a half better. The Bucks now are three-point favorites at home in game three which would indicate that these, te- that these teams are even on a neutral floor. So it's a little bit of an, uh, an not I don't want to say an overreaction, but it's an interesting reaction to games one and two, which flip them. Game, flip game one, flip game two, and there you go. I mean, it, it was the same result different ways. So you could argue that these teams are somewhat even. But with Middleton being out and Marcus Smart being out, kind of canceled each other for this game. Marcus Smart, if he's back for game three, Middleton's still not back, then it does favor the Celtics a bit. Ah, uh, Honestly, looking at this spread right now, the Celtics plus the three points seem to be the play. Because... I think that the market is actually pushing this, and it's not in a. I think three is too much for the Bucks. Is what I'm trying to say. Just based off what we had for the first two games, based off what we've seen from these first two games, just giving the Bucks three points here because they're at home, and you're saying that these teams would be even on a neutral floor, but that's not what you were saying when these two when the two games were in Boston. Celtics plus the three uh, looks like the move here for Saturday's game three. Warriors and Grizzlies. Now, here's another interesting story. 
John Morant went off. Dude absolutely went off. 47 points. In fact, his 47 points, he became just the third player in NBA history to have multiple 45-point playoff games because he had 47 in Game 2 against Utah last year. So he became just the third player in NBA history to have multiple 45-point postseason games before the age of 23. And the other two, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. So elite company there. Ja was great from three-point range. The Warriors, (sighs) not so much. And this is what I think about this game. Yes, Ja was great. But the Warriors collectively were seven of 38 from three-point range. Curry was three of 11. Clay was two of 12. And as bad, and Jordan Poole, one of six, as bad as they shot from three-point range, this was a three-point game in the closing seconds. They were a three-pointer away from tying this game. It was a good, great defense on that possession, terrible offense on that possession, and it then leads to, you know, having to to foul and the game ends. So, much like I thought the Warriors were the right side in this game because they were, it took Draymond Green getting ejected. It took Klay Thompson being in foul trouble and not playing for a whole quarter, essentially. And yet still, the Warriors were able to eke out a victory. I felt like in this game, with Clay not in foul trouble, hopefully, with Draymond Green not ejected, that the Warriors would be the team, they would win. They'd be the right side. And what gives me confidence moving forward in the Warriors is just looking at how poorly they shot in this game. Seven of 38. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. From three-point range. And yet still, they were... 
a three-pointer away from tying the game in the closing seconds. What, Clay Thompson traveled? Yeah, whatever. Like I said, it was crazy possession. Ball was being passed all over the court. Almost turned over a couple of times. Good defense. Bad, uh, bad possession for the Warriors. But just seeing them play poorly, seeing them shoot poorly, and yet still have a chance to tie this game at the end? What happens when they progress to their normal shooting capabilities? What happens when, like, in game one, 14 of 38. In game two, seven. Seven three-pointers out of 38. Shot the same amount of threes, made seven less. That's 21 points, the difference in their game one shooting and game two. And they lost this game by five. If they get half of those shots, I'm not talking about making the seven that they did in game one. Make two of them, they win this game. It took a 7 for 38 performance from three for them to lose this game. We'll talk about the spread for game three. And if that makes sense, coming up next, I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on v the Sports Betting Network. This segment of The Look Ahead is brought to you by Zinn Nicotine Pouches, a fresh way to enjoy nicotine without all the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. Zinn Nicotine Pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in 10 varieties, and they come in two strengths. You can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zinn, America's number one nicotine pouch, is available in over 100,000 locations nationwide. Visit Zinn.com slash find to locate a store near you. That's ZYN.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Scott Sadenberg back here. It's the look ahead on VCN, the sports betting network. You can always hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. Get a tweet coming in uh, from Jake who says, what about Bain's performance, most of the Grizzlies didn't play well either. Morant willed them to victory. Brooks was out the whole game. I don't think these teams are as far apart as you think. Uh, Yeah, Jake, I think that almost kind of proves, like, my point to an extent. Like, you're right. The rest of the, you know, Brooks being out definitely affected them. Bain was not good. But then again, no one else besides Jaron Jackson Jr. shot the ball, really. I mean, Zyra Williams did. Williams did because uh, he made a bunch of threes. He was four for eight for three-point range. But John Morant took 31 shots in this game. He scored their final 15 points in the final four minutes and change of this game. And so think about that. Think about everything that it took for the Warriors to lose this game. Terrible three-point shooting, 7 of 38 from three-point range. 
John Morant going absolutely nuclear with the 47 points, 5 of 12 from three-point range, uh, Williams going 4 of 8 from three-point range, and Ja making all those shots at the end of the game, scoring the final 15 points for the Grizzlies. All that, and the Warriors still had the basketball with a chance to tie the game in the closing, not in the closing seconds, but, you know, in the final 30s, final half a minute, let's just say. All of that. Just, wow. This kind of makes me um, makes me think that if the Warriors just shoot a little bit better, and if Ja has a slight decrease in his performance, the Warriors easily win this game. Game three is not until Saturday, which is just absolutely ridiculous. We'll have the um, I, I don't even know. How does this even make sense? So, tomorrow, Wednesday, we'll have the 76ers Heat Mavericks Suns. Thursday is going to be an off day for everybody. Friday, it then comes back to Heat Sixers Mavericks Suns. And then Saturday, it's game threes between Celtics Bucks, Grizzlies Warriors. I don't I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Why they have Wednesday, Thursday, they have three days off to travel to the next site, whereas the Heat 76ers, Mavericks, and Suns will just have one day off to travel to their next sites. Uh, I... I wish someone from the NBA could explain this, but I have no idea. But anyway, the Warriors are six and a half point favorites. And where's the the reaction here or the overreaction? Let's think about this. So two-point favorites in Memphis. Five-point favorite. That would mean five on a neutral site. And then eight. In in San Francisco? Six and a half seems low, right? If that's what we're doing. If we're giving a full three points to home court. Let's give only a point and a half for home court. Okay? So Warriors, two points in Memphis. Three and a half neutral. Four and a half, five at home. So there's got to be some sort of middle here as to how much they're granting, they're giving to home court, how much they're baking into this line of, you know, a possible zigzag of, you know, the Warriors now covering after losing. How much are they baking in just, you know, the first game at home with the series tied at a game apiece? And how much are they baking in just, are these teams even? I mean, the Grizzlies were better in the regular season, right? But the Warriors had been better this postseason. 
I think this is a very intriguing line. And while six and a half seems like a lot for this series, as closely as both games one and games two were, I think when you kind of break it down, just compared to what the spread was in Memphis, you would think it would have to be higher in San Francisco. So maybe there's value on the six and a half for the Warriors. Well, you know some people are going to dive in on on the Grizzlies for sure, right? Like I said, road teams have done very well. Well, it's not like as well. They they have um they have 26 and 23, is that what it is? So they ha- have had a slight advantage ATS, but the home teams 28 and 21 straight up. Hmm. I think it's interesting. I think six and a half is very, very interesting. What I think is interesting about tomorrow's NBA games, Miami eight and a half now, dropped down from the nine that it opened up at. I thought nine was the line that it should have been for game number one. Because without Joel Embiid, I really felt that the Sixers were at a significant disadvantage against Miami and the way that they were able to defend. Relying on James Harden to be the player that he once was is not going to work for this team because he is not the type of player physically that he once was. He just can't create the shots and the spacing that he once could. He doesn't have the quickness. He doesn't have the strength. He's reliant on his step-back jumpers. He doesn't drive to the lane and try and get to the free-throw line anymore. He clearly is going to have to be more aggressive here in Game 3 But because Joel Embiid is so important to this team, and he is historically good, like his per 36 numbers are incredible, I just felt that three-point adjustment from four and a half to seven and a half was nowhere near enough for that game one. So the Heat were the play. Now it moves up to eight and a half, from the seven and a half, and I still don't think that's enough. If Kyle Lowry was back, I'd feel a little better about it, but he's not going to play in this game. I still don't think it matters. I think this is just a bad matchup for the 76ers. I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat sweep this series. I really wouldn't. But I expect them to win and win convincingly in game two, much like they did in game one. So, yeah, is this... it's interesting because you would think that maybe the zigzag would be built into the, the baked into the line a little bit. But this thing actually goes up from seven and a half to eight and a half. Heat 
to me, are the right side. I'm Scott Sadenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. We will continue the NBA playoff conversation, get into a little Major League Baseball as well, react to the NFL draft from a week ago, uh, see if we're buying in on any of these teams post-draft. Coming up next, we'll be joined by our very own Dave Ross uh, on Twitter at DRossSports. You catch him all over the network here at VSIN, including First Strike, our combat sports show. And there is a little UFC that we can get into with Dave as well. I'm Scott Sadenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Answer the call of cash with DraftKings Connect Victory Challenge, sponsored by Verizon. Play for free in this nine part prediction pool series and take your shot at grabbing a share of $45,000 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Verizon now to join the action. Verizon, America's most reliable 5G network. Terms and conditions and other eligible restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Scott Sadenberg back here with you. This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. Joined now by our very own Dave Ross. You catch him all across the network here at VSIN, including First Strike, our combat sports show. Lots of UFC 274 talk this week. We'll get to that coming up in a few minutes. But, Dave, I want to start with the NBA postseason. The Celtics take care of business, evening up their series. And the Grizzlies behind John Morant, even up the series against the Warriors. Based on what you saw in that game, do you think the Grizzlies have a shot to win this series, or are you still backing the Golden State Warriors? I tell you this, I think I'm one of the few at the network, at least before this series began, that I was convinced this would be a six- or seven-game series. And I gave, uh, I gave Memphis a really good shot uh, potentially winning this series. The reason why is they match up well with Golden State. We kind of forget, I think, in the general population of who knocked out Golden State last year in the play, and it was Memphis. And they, it just feels like John Moran is, is telling you and showing you the blueprint of how to beat them. They, in the fourth quarter of what was just a highly entertaining game, not the best and most well-played game, but just very entertaining on many different levels tonight. But there was a series in the fourth quarter where Memphis was down, I believe four with about four minutes to go. And John Morant took Steph Curry to the rack, then he took Clay Thompson, and then he almost broke Jordan Poole's ankles right there on, on national television in three consecutive trips down the floor. And when he said in game one that they can't guard me, he's right. They, Golden State has no answer for John Morant. Clay Thompson, we talk about his lack of shooting, but he's supposed to be a defensive stopper. He had no shot. And when Clay just laid off him, he just stepped back and hit a three late in the game as well. So they do not have an answer for John Morant. And that is going to be a big issue. If John plays at that level, like he did tonight uh, with 47, I mean, you can't expect 47 every night from John. The other guy's going to be a little bit better. They got almost nothing out of Desmond Bain. He didn't score until the second half. This is going to be a really deep series. This is not going to be, all right, Golden State goes back. They roll in game three and four, three, one, and possibly, you know, close it out when they go back to Memphis. I'd be really surprised if we don't go back to Memphis 2-2. This is, 
this is going to be a much more competitive series than people thought initially. And I wouldn't hedge off of Memphis right now if you're a Memphis ticket holder. They just seem like they are as deep as any team remaining in the postseason. Ja gets all the credit, and he should get the majority of it. But this is a deep team. And if uh, Jackson can ever figure out how to stay on the floor and not foul out, they're going to be a really tough out down the stretch. My only concern is that this, you, 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 you talked about all of it. Ja was incredible. He scored their final 15 points, Dave, in the last four and change. They couldn't, couldn't stop him, right? And throw in the fact that the Warriors went 7 of 38 from three-point range in this game. Everything that goes into what happened here, the Warriors still had a chance with the basketball down three to tie the game in the final half minute. Right. If we get any type of regression from John Morant, and that means instead of him scoring 47, maybe he scores 30. And yeah, I understand right. that Dylan Brooks is not going to, you know, be ejected again in the first three minutes. And, uh, you know, Bain is not going to be as awful as, as he was. But also the Warriors are not going to shoot 7 of 38. They made 14 three-pointers in game one. So if they just make nine three-pointers in this game instead of seven, they win this game. And so I think moving forward, if you just get a little bit better shooting from Golden State or normal shooting from Golden State and a normal performance from John Morant, I think the Warriors win these games. You know what? I think they could, but I think what they have to do, and Steph Curry actually alluded to it after the game. And it's, I know it seems counterintuitive in 2022 basketball, but they had their, their way when they took it uh, inside the lane. All they had to do was keep attacking the rim. When they were down 10 in the third quarter, they had three straight possessions where they had dunk, dunk, uncontested layup. So Memphis is guarding on the three-point line. It, it shows in those numbers. It's not that these are wide-open threes that they're missing. Why do these are contested threes? Mm-hmm. So Steph even said it. He said, look, we, we forced it tonight. We're kind of waiting for the well to open up, and it never opened. So, you know, it's always like the mentality of, well, the next shot's going to go in. When you're getting layups, and really not many of them are contested at the rim, keep taking it to the rack. I thought Andrew Wiggins actually gave them a lot. And, and look, you know, when you didn't have Gary Payton out there after he gets ejected, you need somebody to play defense and kind of be that tough guy. I didn't know that Andrew Wiggins would develop into that type of player. And, you know, initially coming out of college or coming out of Canada, it's just going to be, well, He's just a scorer. That's all he's ever going to be. No, he's a grindy type player. So Wiggins is a guy that can be really effective. Remember, he was an all-star this year. So they need them to fall in, in love with taking the ball to the rim. And when they keep, keep doing that, eventually that's going to bring some of those defenders off that three-point line so they can drive and kick and get much better looks than I thought they got tonight. If, if Golden State's basketball IQ, which is normally never questioned, and I think you can question Memphis's from time to time. If they play typical Golden State basketball, they're up 2-0 in this series. But they didn't. They came down to Memphis's level tonight, and I think made some really poor decisions that cost them game two. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they kept doing that in games three and four. Don't fall in love with the three-point line. Take what Memphis is giving you, and Memphis is giving you opportunities to attack the rim. Warriors minus six and a half for game three. Does that line surprise oh you? It's a little high for my blood, Scott. I got to tell you right now. But when you consider that they were two-point favorites in Memphis, shouldn't this line actually be higher in San Francisco? 
Well, the, you know, if you back the Warriors so far, you're 0-2. Because, yeah, they got the, the money line winning game one, but yep. Memphis don't cover the number of getting that two and a half. So I think there's a danger here because the, the public perception still is it's Golden State, it's Golden State. And, you know, the, the, the thought, the narrative street was before game two tonight. Well, they took their heart in game one. That was the game Memphis had to win. No. You know, really, they kind of flip-flopped which games I thought they should have won. I actually thought that Golden State plays a little bit better today. They should have won game two, and Memphis should have won game one. So we're, we're even where we are. But I think right now the public's been a little bit off on these lines and, and where the money has gone. Right now, boy, if that ballooned up to seven, I'm jumping on Memphis in game three. Mm, interesting. Uh, elsewhere, the Celtics handle their business. Uh, that series tied at a game apiece. Uh, and now we'll see Milwaukee as a three-point favorite in game three. Where are you leaning? Well, you know, it's interesting because game one, Giannis gets a triple-double and gets all the accolades, but he really didn't shoot it very well, right? But he still dominated the game without Chris Middleton by doing everything else. And then they thought, boy, if you get a, a really good performance from Giannis in game two, Boston could be in real trouble. No, no, no. Boston punched him right back in the mouth today. Never really headed in this game, uh, this contest at all. So now I'm going, I think game two might be more of the way the rest of this series goes, and maybe game one was the anomaly. So right now, I think that number's going to come down. If I'm a Boston backer, I'm grabbing those three. Because I think the C's tonight are more of the C's we're used to, at least in the second half of the regular season, and certainly in the first four games against Brooklyn. That defense was stifling today. I think game three is going to be a real knockdown drag out for control of this thing. And if, if Boston is who we think they were before this, this series began, I kind of like grabbing those three points on the road in Milwaukee. The 76ers uh, and the Heat coming up here on Wednesday. Miami, they were seven and a half point favorites in game one, eight and a half now in game two. <laughs> Will game two play out exactly like game one did? Yeah, I mean, here's the problem for back in Philadelphia. It's what are you going to get from James Harden? And, Scott, you know, my question for James Harden and, and for Sixers faithful and really the front office and Doc Rivers, et cetera, is if James Harden is not hurt, then you have a bigger problem than what we saw in game one. Like, if this is healthy James Harden, if this is, quote, unquote, peak James Harden 2022, you're in a lot of trouble, Philadelphia. So, you know, if he's, if he's hurt, then you got to give a guy a pass. And you figure out, all right, he'll get back to being the same guy. But he's just out of shape, and this isn't the same James that can blow by people anymore. You can rely on Maxi really right now without Joel Embiid. I mean, like Tobias Harris did everything he could in Game One. They still got blown out. So you know, they let by one to happen. The second half, they're really never headed after that big third quarter by Miami. Miami's going to play better. And remember, Miami's playing without Kyle Lowry. He's going to be out now uh, for Game Two as well. So it's not like they're a hundred percent all go. But Philadelphia, it's James Harden for me. It, it, he's got to be a superstar, and right now, he's a guy. And I never thought I'd have that conversation about who is James Harden, but that's where he is right now. He's just another dude out there trying to get to 15 or 17 points. Dude, I need, I need you to have 35 if I'm going to back Philadelphia. I can't do it, Scott. There's no way I can lay it. To me, it's a safer play in a money line parlay. Uh, with Miami and somebody else. But I just cannot back Philadelphia right now with their lack of offense without Joel Embiid. Could not agree with you more. Dave, hang on with me. I want to get to some Major League Baseball and talk about UFC 274 yes, as well. He is Dave Ross. You follow him on Twitter at DRossSports. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up at Scott's On Air. This is The Look Ahead here on Visa. 
This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. The VSIN spring special is here for only 59 bucks. You get everything VSIN has to offer from now till the end of July. The next few months are going to be filled with the best betting content in the business right here at vsin.com. Subscribers will have access to all of it, including Adam Burke's daily MLB best bets. Jonathan Von Tobel, he's going to have his best bets all the way through the NBA Finals. Andy McNeil's breaking down all the action on the ice all the way through the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll have lots of NFL preseason coverage as well, not to mention continued best bets and premium articles covering golf, UFC, USFL, NASCAR, and the Kentucky Derby betting guide. If you want the full VSIN experience, which features the daily best bets, email every edition of Point Spread Weekly, use of our betting tools, and a live video stream whenever you want it. The cost? $59 to be a subscriber through July 31st. Sign up now at vcin.com slash spring. Scott Sadenberg back here with you. It is the look ahead here on vcin, rejoined by our very own Dave Ross. And you can follow Dave on Twitter at DRossSports. And let's talk a little baseball here, Dave. Your Mets sweep a doubleheader from the Braves and... At nine to one to win the World Series, are you painting yourself in blue and orange? No, I'm not. But Scott, you know what? I told you. I, I think every week that we've done this segment together, those those metropolitans, man, they. Are- Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Five money-making machines, and it is amazing. Even the the game they lost to Atlanta in the series, in Game One of the series, they still covered the first five. That just is indicative that they're getting early runs. Normally, not a ton. They're not hitting the the, the top of baseball, but it's something about that fifth inning and that bottom five for the Metropolitan. Certainly, when they've been playing at home, and it is just they are a money-making machine. The first five, the starting pitching has been that good, and the timely hitting, and the bats are starting to get better. Dom Smith has been absolutely on fire uh, in the series against the ATL. We're getting the polar bear, Pete Alonzo, uh, starting to come around again. Somebody actually tweeted at me and said, has he been a disappointment? And, I, and Scott, I just couldn't even reply to the tweet because I was just like so taken aback. A disappointment? <laughs> what are you, insane? Like, th- this is a light point in the middle of that lineup for the Metropolitan. So, right now, I'm not ready to go 9-1 to in the World Series. Again, I did not take them uh, before the beginning, the season began because once I heard the news injury – I'm Jacob DeGrom. You know, I was all loaded for Bear once we got we the Metropolitans got Chris Bassett and to be the number three behind Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. And then when DeGrom went out, you went, well, how are the roles going to shift, right? How is Tyron Walker going to be in the back end of the rotation? How, how is, you know, Max now, obviously Max can handle anything, so that's not really a concern. And he's been as good as advertised, even though the Phillies got to him a little bit. The offense was there for the Mets uh, in his most recent outing on Sunday. So, 
I, I kind of look at this and I go, everything is coming up roses right now for the Metropolitan, and they don't have Jacob DeGrom. Now, let's see how this stands when we get to the All-Star break. If the Mets still have a five-game lead, something along those lines, three to five-game lead in the Heat, and they get back a quote-unquote healthy Jacob DeGrom, well, then I think if you had anything before the season begin, you could really start getting excited about it. I'm not ready to go there yet, trying to curb the enthusiasm a little bit on the great start for the Mets, because I want to see if the bats keep coming around to match the pitching, because I don't know that the pitching can be this good for this long without Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, I would agree, uh, but I think that this is a team that's going to win close to you know high 90s, close to 100 games this year. I think them and the Yankees, you could pencil them in for, for between 95 to 100 wins for both of them this season. I mean, you, you don't get off to an incredible start like this and not uh, have a successful season. So 18-6 and six for right. the Yankees, 18-8 uh, and eight for the New York Mets. That's unbelievable. Who else has impressed you so far early on here in the Major League Baseball season? And, you know, it's so funny because it's it's almost in perception of what we thought teams would be as far as where I look at them and say, well, what did I think they were going to be before the season began, and, and where are they now to really impress me? i got to be honest with you, the Angels are impressing me in the ALS, and, and I was a little bit leery at the beginning of the year as to what I thought they would be. You and I talked about that, and we talked about I, I really do believe the difference Joe Madden is making right now in that clubhouse. And it's something that you can't put your your. It's not a tangible thing that you can actually you know hold and and take hold of and say it, it equates to X amount of wins. But I actually thought this would be potentially their breakout year. And you and I both love the addition of Noah Syndergaard coming over from the Metropolitans uh, in this season to give them a, another guy to go along with Tani uh, at the top of that rotation. And you thought if Rendon got off to a slow start, but now he's starting to hit again. You know, if you can get the Rendones, you know what Mike Trout's going to be. You know what Otani's going to be. Then you're going to have run producers uh, in the middle of that lineup right now that you can really count on. And, again, I'm going to trust the guy, the old guy in the specs. He just seems to have the Midas touch. He did it in Tampa. He did it in Chicago. I think it's starting to happen in Anaheim. Yeah, I've been really pleasantly surprised with the Angels start. Conversely, what's going on in the south side of Chicago with the White Sox? I, you know, it, it's really – I get it. Everybody's got injuries and – you're waiting for everybody to come back. But we just talked about the Mets. When you lose Jacob DeGrom before the season begins, I think a lot of people wrote the Mets open. Well, the White Sox can't really use that as an excuse, especially in the division that they're playing in. They're supposed to be the team that, that's going to beat up on everybody. Right now, the Win Twins are winning a lot. And I don't know if they can keep that pace going. Everybody tells me in the South Side, they're going to be okay. They'll turn this thing around. Tony LaRusso is going to figure it out. They're not figuring it out right now. And I know a lot of people are panicking. Uh, back in my old home in Chicago. Let's talk UFC 274 coming up this Saturday. Uh, on the main card, there's one fight that really jumps out to me where the odds are surprising. And that okay. is laying any type of juice with Cowboy Cerrone. This dude has not won a fight in his last, what, six or seven fights, Dave? Now he's a minus 170 favorite? Tell me more about this fight. Why is Donald Cerrone the favorite? And should I be considering backing this guy? Or will this fade continue to be profitable? Well, you know, when you look at two legends, they're going to take him at Octagon. And that's Don Cowboy Cerrone against Joe Lozon. I mean, these are two of the toughest guys that have been around for literally decades in the UFC. If you're a UFC fight fan, you've been watching these guys uh, do, do combat forever. 
And so I understand where your hesitancy would be to go, man, how can I back Cowboys this big a favorite? The only thing is, it's going up with a guy now that's in the same senior citizen category as Donald Cowboy Cerrone. So this isn't a young buck. This isn't a guy trying to get the win on his mantle. Joe Ozon can't can't keep fighting forever either. So to me, this is like watching two Hall of Famers go ahead and give you one more show. And I do think Cowboy has had a slightly better career than Joe Ozon. So that's why I think he's the favorite here in what might be a retirement fight. I wouldn't be surprised if both these guys, no matter what happens in the Octagon on Saturday, decide to call it a career. And if this is the way they want to go out, fighting each other, two legends uh, that have been around forever, the fight fans can't wait to see it. I think Cowboy is the rightful favorite in this. But one thing I would probably bet on, Scott, is taking the over. I think this fight's going to go all three rounds. And I think it's pretty safe. Yeah, they're going to go for subs. And you know Cowboy's going to try to get some stoppages too. But uh, to me, this has got three-round war written all over it. They're going to stand and bang and see who's the better man. Speaking of being around forever, does Tony Ferguson have a chance against Michael Chandler? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I had Ricardo Lamas on. Shout out First Strike, First Look. You can listen to First Strike, First Look now. It's already out there uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. And Ricardo and I talked about this fight specifically. I am stunned where this number is. And that is a lack of respect for Tony Ferguson and what he's done lately. Okay, so yeah, he's had some bad outings. Justin Gaethje outing uh, did not look good. You know, the way I look at it is it's still Justin Gaethje. And now you're going against Michael Chandler. And yeah, Michael Chandler came over from Bellator with all the hype, and he almost got DuPont out of there in that first round. Uh, It didn't get it done. And all of a sudden, Charles DuPont goes on. We see, you know, he's now arguably one of the best lightweights. We'll talk about his fight in a little bit. To me, this, is a, this line is, is mispriced. There is no way I'm laying that kind of money on a guy like Chandler, who, yes, we know what he wants to do, right-hand leads, and he wants to wrestle. Tony Ferguson, he's a slick a guy in, inside that octagon where his legs are right and looks like his knees are fine now. Um, good luck catching him because that's what Tony's going to do. He's going to be moving the whole time. And if Chandler overcommits, which he has a tendency to do, I actually think this could be a surprise. I think it's going to be a much more competitive fight. Of course, Chandler should be the favorite, but if he cannot get takedowns and all he's looking for is a knockout of Tony Ferguson, good luck. That's going to be a really hard fashion uh, to get that fight finished by looking for a right-hand knockout. Got a little less than a minute. Give me some quick thoughts on Gaethje and uh, Rose Namajunas as well. Love Thug Rose in this one. This is a rematch. You might not remember it, but way back in the day, she actually lost to Carla Esparza. So she's trying to get some redemption on her record of 115 pounds. I got to tell you, Justin Gaethje, very dangerous as plus money in this main event. I've been back in New Bronx, and I've been winning consistently with him. This might be where it ends. No official play yet. I'll give it to you Friday on first strike. We will be sure to be locked in to that. Dave, appreciate the conversation as always. Enjoy the rest of uh, this Mets run until it comes to an end, okay? (laughs) (laughs) He's Dave Ross. Check him out at DRoss Sports. Be sure to download First Strike and listen to it. BSIN.com slash podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's On Air. This is The Look Ahead here on BSIN, the sports betting network.
As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Thank you. 